Wow, you know, again, I have to say every week, I'm saying, man, this is the best show ever of continuing conversations, you know, as we talk about different topics that are relevant uh, to Star Trek Adventures, to Captain's Log, to the gaming community, um, to the ever-growing story of Star Trek. I'm Michael Dismuke. I am uh, the co-host here on Continuing Conversations. I'm also um, one of the main bloggers on Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures and... um, uh, Captain's Log. Last year, we almost hit 90,000 unique visitors, which is totally awesome. Almost half a million views on the site. Um, and of course, a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures and lead writer on uh, Captain's Log. And I would be nothing if it was not for the estimable Jim Johnson. Hey, everybody. Jim Johnson. I'm the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG and the Captain's Log solo RPG, both published by Modifius Entertainment, going on strong now. Uh, gosh, I'm heading into eight, year eight working with Modifius, which is hard to believe, but uh, it's been a long, long, fun trip. And uh, I don't know how we've been doing the show for almost two years now, Michael. I don't know. And, and this is the first time we've actually been able to get Chris, Chris Birch on the line. So Chris is the uh, president and CEO, chief creative officer of Modifius Entertainment. Uh, so he is he's responsible for so many amazing things uh, with Modifius and uh, super excited to have you on the show, Chris. Uh, as uh, as tradition on our show, it would be great if you just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then uh, if you can, uh, fold in what your favorite Star Trek series is and your favorite Star Trek character. I know you're a big fan, so uh, we'd love to hear your uh, your responses there. <laughs> uh, hi, Well, hi, guys. Um, yeah, it's lovely to be here. Finally, um, <laughs> Uh, so, um, obviously I'm Chris Birch, one of the, uh, founder with my lovely wife of Modifius and, uh, I guess Star Trek, I grew up on Captain, Captain Kirk, right? So it's got to be the original series, uh, with all the amazing, uh, stuff they did with that show. You know, it was the, uh, the fact that they had this like amazing different multicultural cast, mm-hmm. uh, multi-country cast at the height of the cold war and i think it was wasn't it the first interracial kiss on color television that was pretty pretty astounding um and who's my favorite character i still think i, I mean i think my favorite scene is is the prune juice scene <laughs> but that's the next generation yeah right <laughs> <laughs> with Gu- Guinan and Worf, right? Yeah. Yes. So is it yeah. Guinan or is it Worf, your favorite character? Oh, well, Worf, of course. Okay. <laughs> it could yeah. be Guinan. We have some, we, we, we've had, man, dozens, if not nearing a hundred guests on this show. And it seems like uh, you, I'm surprised by the answers. So and that's like very, very good. I was just watching the Corbinite Maneuver last night, the original oh, series, yeah. which is, which is a classic. So they're, they're so good. Plus yeah. they're all remastered now on Netflix with the, with the graphics. Oh. I have a question for you, Chris, which we have to ask since this is your first time on the show too. How was it that Modifius got the license to the Star Trek to do the RPG in the first place. People may not know that if they're new to the game. Sure. Well, um, I always believe you should work on stuff you love because um, it comes through when you do interviews and when you do the work. Mm. And I'd always been a huge fan of Star Trek. You know, Star Trek was 
I always said, I, I love Star Wars and Star Trek. And when I was growing up, Star Wars was like your uncle that came once a year with something cool. <laughs> and Star Trek was your best buddy who lives next door and you would hang out every week. I like play, that. Play games, right? Um, and now we're like, we have so much of everything. We're, we're totally spoiled. I mean, I grew up in the, the desert years after Return of the Jedi. <laughs> and all we had was reruns of Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, um, I was talking to, uh, uh, I got back in touch with a guy I knew who, who worked on the original Mutant Chronicles brand, and he was um, working with City of Heroes, and he was working on Star Trek Online. And uh, I was like, oh, do you know the people at CBS? I'd love to try and get a deal with them. And he's like, okay, I, yeah, I know the head of licensing. Let me do an intro. Nice. And they were a small team at the time. They didn't have the time. They, you know, they thought it was a great idea, but, you know, they knew how much work was involved because, you know, there'd been previous Star Trek role-playing games. And we even offered to hire someone to do the work at their end. And anyway, any wow. cut long story short, eventually they got the funds. I guess they knew what was coming with Star Trek. They expanded and um and we got the I remember getting the contract through and you're like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna make Star Trek. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah, it was pretty wild. I remember that first year, I think, when we met Jim at Gen Con and we'd announced it, and just so many people coming up from the industry going, Oh, I've got to work on Star Trek. Please, can I work on Star Trek? And there was just so many, you know, awesome people in the industry who clearly, you know, they loved Star Trek. The reason they were there doing stuff in maybe in role playing was because, you know, of things like Star Trek that had expanded their minds when they were kids. So, um, yeah, I have to say, I mean, from my knowledge and my observation, the level of authors, you know, people who even author like novels um, for Star Trek. And, and who come in and write for the game. Mm. Is that a normal thing for an RPG company to be able to drag in that talent? That, that was, that's pretty, you know, you have Marco uh, Raffala, think, Dayton Ward, Scott Pearson, yeah. Derek Tyler Attico, you know, got a, a list of not quite a few creators and now Dr. Eric McDonald, you know. It's all down to how nice Jim is, you see. That was <laughs> <right> from. <laughs> um, I, I think it's interesting, right? Because Star Wars, it's just it's a, it's much it's huge as a brand like and you get it's a completely different world in a sense mm-hmm. um and star trek is much more like the community is so much more involved in star trek and uh, i just find that people in you know in the star trek scene are just so lovable and kind uh, well in general <laughs> there's always a few exceptions uh, but in general like really nice and just want to work together and love People love creating for Star Trek. I mean, I remember when we got, I got hold of Rick Sternback because we wanted to do some, get his help doing the map tiles for the next generation and Klingons. And he was just so lovely to work with and just very open and told us all the crazy stories from his time on Next Generation. And um, so, yeah, there just does seem to be this passion to create. And also the great thing is, you know, CBS and Paramount have been super open to us creating stuff you know so they actually embrace all the partners adding to the star trek universe and because obviously they have the alpha beta counts you you can kind of get away with it and then if they like something i guess they just take it in yeah yeah Uh, it's it's very very open and passionate and everyone involved is just super keen and i think that's why 
people want to work for stuff because they just love Star Trek and any excuse to write Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> so it's true just to have a piece of that universe. Yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. As I say, just uh, it's really exciting to see um, the Star Trek, like everybody I've ever talked to involved in Star Trek, all the production people, the writers, the artists, the development people, et cetera, they're all super willing to get involved. And that's how we keep ending up getting all these crazy guests on our show, Michael, is because like they all say yes. I was like, yeah, we'd love to work on more Star Trek, whether it's the RPG or a nonfiction book or something else. And they've all been super generous with their time and their talent and their efforts. And it's just, it's amazing, this community, like not just the Star Trek adventurous community but like the extended star trek you know family such as it is uh it's just been an amazing experience over the last several years to to see how many people are willing to help us if we if we reach out and we say hey we're working on the rpg i saw this graphic in this random magazine you did do you have that graphic can i put that in my book and they're like oh yeah and then here's like here's 10 million other things and it's like oh wow you know cornucopia of riches here right <laughs> yeah just the partnership with star trek online alone oh, it, yeah. i mean now it's a creative connection between the rpg and the tv shows which is amazing right. so yeah and, cool. the, and the fans because the fans are connected to it to all this as well the fans really see the connectivity between the different licensors and the licensees like they see that we're working with star trek online and star trek timelines and everybody else and they're like oh they're seeing all these interconnections because they also know that some of the writers and creatives are also working in all these different venues as well and so they they they, they see this huge continuum of star trek stuff right it's not just paramount and it's not just star trek adventures it's it's all kind of connected which is pretty cool and, and which brings us to our subject today, which is an interesting subject. Now, normally, I never disclaimer our shows at all, <laughs> but I'm going to disclaimer this one because it's a subject that's being talked about. Some people are not comfortable talking about it. Some people, when the word is mentioned, there's a visceral reaction to it um, because we know people have their opinions. But I'm going to ask everybody, you know, you trust us. You've been on this continuing conversation. You know, we talk about everything and it's all in good nature. And today we're actually going to be tackling the subject of artificial intelligence, or some people may want to call it generative AI, LLM, large language models, however you're referring to it or what you know about it. Today's going to be a pretty good education with the leading question to Chris Birch, probably being one of the most powerful ones any CEO in any or any owner of any kind of creative genre now can answer is what is Modifia's stance on writers and creators in the use of generating stories or art using generative AI? So, um, well, the simple answer is we don't allow artists, writers, creators to use generative AI uh, in their work for us. And that's in our contracts. But <laughs> we are in a very gray area because AI, whether you like it or not, is, is in Google, is in Google Maps, is in Google Translate. Um, there are, I mean, I'll give you an example, you know, Blender, which is a piece of software that you use to create, you know, 3D environments, has a generative AI tool that will texture a bunch of gray boxes to look like metal containers or wooden crates or whatever it is. And that's generative AI, but it's, there's lots and lots of little tools. You know, there is a, there's a tool within Photoshop when you're trying to kind of like uh, cut out a background and you can kind of, okay, you've got some blue here and blue here, but it's red here and you can make it match the blue using AI. Um, so the simple thing is don't use an AI platform to make stuff for us. Okay. Um, but it's getting increasingly hard to check. 
And, you know, there was a great example recently of a, I think it was a magic artist or a D&D artist getting called out by some other artists saying, you made this art with AI. And then, of course, huge furor, everyone saying, I knew it. I knew D&D were using art or magic was using uh, AI art. And, of course, then, it, you know, through investigation, it was proved that they were not using AI art. And so people have been very, very quick to judge. And, uh, you know, I think, I think just taking a quick step back is lots of people are very scared of AI. Lots of people are very fearful and, and quite rightly, it's going to have big changes, but we have to be careful that we're not so fearful that we don't confront it and learn how we can adjust and ensure that the creative people remain involved in the process, remain involved in the technology, still benefit from the creative process that we all love. None of us want to be our ideas to be replaced by a machine. We'd like all the boring stuff to be done by the machine. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And I think it's important for us to define when we talk about a good use of any technology, it's as a tool not as a replacement of a human being's value, right? So I know at my company, I, I help form the policy on what the appropriate use of AI is in the workplace. And one of the ways I like to define it, um, you know, you have a box, you know, and I, I just want people to understand what we're talking about in a work environment, um, if people are choosing to use it. Um, so if you have a box, you know, Inside that box, we can put whatever we want in that box for which our employees can then say, hey, help me with this. Um, and it could be our policies, our rules, our job aids. That's contained in the box. So that's all of our own creative genius that other employees are allowed to use from. But then what we're talking about and what's the controversy out there is this open AI thing where when you have a question or a prompt, it's pulling from all this other creative work that is not ours which is now, okay, wait a second. This is starting to get into muddy waters here. And so I like the fact, Chris, that you, you, you realize that, you know, there's so many other programs that are already doing this out there. It's really about knowing what the tool can do and the proper and improper use of it, correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know an artist who uses um, various AI tools to do more work and get paid more. But he's he is an artist who's using art. I mean, there's some interesting examples. You know, like through the last years, like in the '90s, I was part of the house music scene, and I remember when the first court case happened because someone had sampled a, a, a disco track, mm. and there was about three three four seconds of disco of this disco track. I think a girl's voice, and there was the four, first lawsuit, and that led to the the legal structures around. Okay, I want to put. A this beat from this track in my in my record, and now there is a legal process to do that. And this is a massively more complex version, but we kind of need something like that for art. Um, and there's also another example is I remember when the bedroom music software came in in the '90s, and I was part of a big live music studio, and that music studio ended up closing. Uh, a lot of live musicians lost their jobs, but the people who became the big music producers and, and um, DJs were the people who went home and they learned that software and, and they were maybe the guitarists, but they didn't need a, a drum drummer anymore. 
and uh, they didn't need a keyboard player anymore because they could do it. But generally, it was people who were already musicians in some format or an engineer who could make the most of that software. So um, I definitely think, you know, artists, you know, I think I think the way it's going to pan out, it will be a tool for artists. And yes, any 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 of us three could just go off and rattle off some prompts and create some art. Uh, but an artist, an actual artist, can make it really shine. But well, the problem is that it's drawing on people's art without their permission. And that's not fair. So there will need to be, I mean, even uh, the Getty Institute, which is an enormous library of photographs from across the world from photographers, has now launched an AI generative platform that pays its own opted-in artists. But we don't know how much. It might be terrible. It might be like Spotify that really mm-hmm. pays you nothing unless you're a megastar, and even then you don't really get true value. So um, I think you know this is going to take a long time to shake out. But we have access to plenty of amazing artists. Yeah. And there's artists and there's also writers too, right? We're including writers in that lump too. I yeah. know, again, one of our policies is, um, you know, if, you, if you're stating a fact or creating something, you have to take it from a journalistic standpoint where you actually have to give attribution. And yeah. if you can't give attribution, you should not be using this information. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one of the rules we have at our, at our company. However, again, I'm going to go. I've been I've been a user of Grammarly for years. Right. Maybe yeah. going on when it's first started. Um, and that's AI. It's it's a generative AI where it's using uh, information loaded into it about proper grammar and usage in order to correct stuff. And I use that actively because as a writer and with the amount of stuff I write, I, I can't be writer and editor. Editor is a whole different brain frame. So it's so a lot of people were prevented from producing written work because they they never felt confident, didn't have the money to pay an editor. Whereas with Grammarly, I could pump it out all day and be pretty confident. It's not perfect. Nothing is um, Mm. pretty confident that the work I submit would be high quality. So so some people may not realize that that's what you're talking about. Again, you're coming up with the ideas, but you're using AI in order to get you. I mean, if you are using Google Translate, there are loads. I know people who've lost their jobs because for like local community translation, because people don't need it anymore. They can use Google Translate. Mm. I mean, you know, if you look at the wider technology field, if you're using Excel at your at work, that's replacing a room full of people who used to sit there with bits of paper and spreadsheets and typewriters. So technology is replacing but has that created an enormous software industry of of different types of jobs and um you know we are in this chain you know digital art didn't exist i think what um until about the mid 90s i mean email wasn't a thing until was it 96 (laughs) well like something that people global global yeah yeah um and so we are probably going to see a, a step change in people's work that, you know, you might have people who um, once would have churned out a lot of art and, and maybe become producers and they can do any art that they like. I mean, again, we've got to be careful because, and it is changing ever so fast. And like um, there's what, what I worry about is people who 
Don't want anyone to talk about it. Don't talk about AI because you're going to normalize it. Don't talk about AI because you make it okay. But that's a bit like sticking your head in the sand. No, no, no. If we if we pretend it's not going to happen, it won't happen. Right. But it's already happened. Like it's already everywhere in the software and tech that you're using. There is there's no way no way getting around it. And I really worry that there will be people who are who, who will be okay. All right, I won't, I won't talk about it. I won't talk about it. And in in a, in a couple of years, they're going to go. Gosh, where's my job gone? Right. Yeah. Because, <laughs> and I'm not saying the jobs going to be taken away by some little silly beast of software but someone else who will be better trained who will have understand how to use the new software being integrated it will be like being a, a paper bookkeeper in i don't know what the 80s and then suddenly there's some dude turns up with a who's given a desktop computer and knows how to use excel like you, exactly. you've got to be prepared like musicians in the 90s had to transition and learn how to use software and not stand around in live studio and, and strum their instrument as much. And thank goodness people still love live music. Well, it's, use the illustration. I mean, use the illustration online. We, when we, when this conversation came up on social media at first. You came in and wisely refereed it, <laughs> which we highly uh -huh. appreciated. Um, and you made the comparison of someone who, like, imagine if your Uber driver wanted to use a Thomas guide as opposed to using, yeah. you know, as opposed to using GPS, you know, it's, it's yeah. like that, you know, it, it, these are tools yeah, yeah, that yeah. are developing and like any tool that can be abused and like any tool mm -hmm. that could be used properly to improve lives. Yeah. We've also got to also bear in mind, this isn't true AI. This isn't Star Trek AI. This doesn't think for itself. It doesn't have an opinion. It can only answer a question. It doesn't, you don't, you can't just say, Hey, talk to me chat gpt it's it, it, it needs you to say i'd like to talk about star trek or i'd like to talk about x it has to have a starting point and it can only use what it's been given as information to form a conversation that's based on previous texts it's read which is also part of the issue that it's using previous yeah. language and humans are so, needed i want i want to point out i went to an interesting yeah. conference in um uh Atlanta last year is the Comnet conference is the communicators from around the world and had an amazing keynote speaker and they talked about the 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 danger of AI drift and for those of you who may not know what that is um if for instance a foreign power or or a hacker decided that they were going to flood the internet with the equation 2 plus 2 equals 5 then if you asked AI, what is two plus two, because of the predominance of that equation being out there, two plus two equals five, then it, AI would might, could say to you, the answer is five, because it believes and takes as fact, whatever is the predominance and most common answer out there. That's AI drift. So what they're saying is even the more information that goes into there, the more you're going to need humans to fact check it. Because yeah. because who's who are the guardians? And these are called prompt engineers. Oftentimes, that's a, becoming a very popular job uh, growing in different companies now. So prompt engineers are needed. So again, talking about the convergence of technology, creating new jobs also is interesting. Yeah, it's okay. interesting. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Oh, well, I was just going to add, it, uh, it kind of follows on what you were saying, Michael, is that there's also the in, like um, the infection of AI. So the more AI learns from AI-created content, it rapidly degrades. It's like it's been infected with AI content. So more it needs, and they've, they've done a study on this, AI generative platforms must, must have 
new human created content to maintain their quality and and so doesn't matter what you think human creative creativity is not going away and there will need to be raw human creativity that goes in you can't and it can't be oh i use i created this piece of art and painted over it a bit it has to be completely human created artwork create completely human written content and that is going to be both the challenge for the AI industry, but also the saving grace for us humans is that we still get, uh, certainly in the near future, we're still going to need to create stuff, whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Jim, you were going to say. No, 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 no need to apologize. Uh, I, I had I had one comment and then one question for you both. The comment, uh, Michael, you kind of touched on it already when you were talking about uh, prompt engineers. I didn't realize that was a thing until just now. So thanks for sharing that. But just listening to you too, I was thinking, oh gosh, there's an interesting opportunity for, for people to use AI as a tool to where like, if you were working on a project and maybe you wanted to create a new Star Trek novel in the style of the eighties Star Trek novels, uh, the human could could load their, their AI tool with, you know, 50 OCR examples of uh, novels from the eighties, right? They can scan them in because that technology exists and then have the AI tool help collate all that stuff into a new, into a new novel and then they would go through and edit it and clean it up and uh, and fix it and, and uh, i just thinking you would need a prompt engineer to do that you couldn't just tell the ai tool uh, oh yeah just do this because you got to load that you, content into it's it it's probably right? got it already in jim <laughs> yeah but, yeah go but ahead. you can you can ask someone to write in that style and we still really need people to be writing in that style and right. and writing uh human content um you know the the you know we're in this really weird place that we don't really know what's going to happen in six months you know we don't know what um open ai is working on we don't know what uh you know there's a new version of bard coming um mm. supposedly open ai has cracked the next level of intelligence according to the the rumor mill in the ai industry um and we're also at this point where you know people are losing their minds over how how crazy and dangerous it is. The the simple fact though is I cannot use uh, AI art in my business. If I create some, get some AI Star Trek art done for our next book, Mm. we can't copyright it. You're not legally allowed to copyright it. When we work for a licensor, whether it's Fallout, you know, Bethesda or Viacom, CBS, we have to give them the copyright on all the creative work we do, except for our rules. Our rules are ours. All the writing about Star Trek or Fallout, all the writing, all the artwork, the copyright has to be transferred to them. But we can't. So we cannot use AI art. So really, um, at the moment, AI is more beneficial to the small guys, the indie indie companies. Maybe they don't really care if they can't copyright the art. They just want some cool artwork for their new sci-fi RPG. They're not building a brand. They just want some nice artwork. And part of the problem is it's all very well for us big guys to get who've got all the money to go, no, you can't use AI. It's terrible. But for the small creators who don't actually have the money and they're saying, well, you're holding us back. Um, and obviously, you know, smaller indies tend to work more closely with creators and feel for it, but also um, feel quite put out that they're not allowed to use this fun new technology. And I've seen a lot of creators use it. I mean, I've seen some big companies using it. Uh, there was a, I'm not going to talk about who, but there was a board game on Kickstarter recently that used AI art, didn't care 
and um and i think it's interesting that obviously in social media you it is a bit of a uh, an echo chamber right we hear we hear the same few people talking a lot correct so i i'd like it'd be interesting to know how many people in the let's call it the customer base like there's all of us all of our friends who who we listen to and talk to who are quite concerned about ai art but average joe do they really care do they even know what ai art is um and you know drive through rpg you have to tag your product with ai content now you have to say this includes ai art mm -hmm. But I'm not sure that most people really care. I, I want to talk about that because you're bringing up a subject of accessibility. Yeah. And what let's think about social media, why social media became such a powerful platform that a, some very vocal, powerful people did not like. Because now media was no longer in control by the big boys, the big corporations. They knew that that was a danger, a loss of power. Look what YouTube happened. YouTube made Justin Bieber so that he got around the record companies. Um, so so AI, and I want to talk about this because um, say, for instance, let's take you know a young uh, uh, BIPOC person, inner city, all they have is a computer. They don't have the money to go to a big university. They want to create a book. They want to create some art for their book. They want to show, hey, I have ideas and I don't have the network, the connections, the money, the so-called higher education. But they have this drive to connect and they say, I'm just going to sit down at the computer, which we know happened during the hip hop era. For all yeah. of those who love hip hop, they were sampling from our favorite disco records, just like Chris talked about. And it created a genre because creatives had control of their tools. And, and so this is also an accessibility issue where people can pump their ideas and get it on the Internet. Are we in support of that? I know I yeah. am. I, so, I don't I want to see these ideas. Exactly. And where was all the creative community when everyone was sampling all that tracks? Because they were really cool tracks. And no one was going, excuse me, you're sampling a 70s track. I think it's really awful. And you're taking away revenue from those 70s artists. Well, the, the, the ones who were complaining, uh, the, there were complaints, but who was behind the complaining? Well, it was the big companies. There you go. Money, there right? you go. There you go. Yes. I mean, you know, it, it, again, we've got to be sensitive because a lot of young artists, a lot of older artists, who are, and I know writers who've lost work. I met some writers at Gamma this year. I know, uh, so that's an industry trade event. Uh, you know, I, I met people at Gen Con who were seriously worried about it and were actively losing work. One girl said, my company that I did some writing for said, it's okay, we're using some AI to write content now. We don't need you as much. Mm. So there are people actively losing money to this. Um, but yes, you're right. That that again, technology is good and bad. Money yeah. is good and bad. It's all is how you use it. So there are people who are disadvantaged who can use technology to raise themselves up. Um, and and then there are people, there are the big, big, big companies <laughs> who really don't need the help. Right. <laughs> if anything, um they'll suffer. Uh, and and they can't use the tech at the moment, you know, until the copyright issues are resolved. None of us can use that tech. The only people that can benefit are young, you know, an artist, you know, in in my heart, I would love to think that an artist who who struggled for, you know, had to work six days a week, hardly saw their family to pay the bills, could do the same amount of work in a couple of days. 
and spend the rest and, and get the same amount of money and spend the rest of the week with their family or actually just painting whatever they like. I really hope that this technology becomes a technology that the creators get to use to create better quality work, to get more money for their work, to create. I mean, we have an issue that, you know, when we create a book, we'd really like all the art to be one artist would be the best solution. But that's rarely possible because you've the timeline to get the book made. You have to find kind of artists who are similar to each other. But you've seen it when you've seen RPG books that have the same artists all the way through. They're beautiful, really stunning. It's a great look. So wouldn't it be amazing if you could, if we could do 10 times the number of books because all our creators could do that much more work and everyone could get paid more money and get more money, more time with their family. It's it's a pipe dream, but it's Star Trek, right? <laughs> yeah, and we're, we're going to go over to that. In fact, but is every, so everyone knows before we end this conversation, we're going to talk about in order for a holodeck to happen, what the evolution of AI would have to be, because that's basically what, what that is. We're, we'll get to that. I, I want to um, have one question to kind of free the creatives out there who are playing solo RPG or GMs. Um, and this is a question about, you know, what if you're at home um, and you're using it for private use? Um, uh, somebody had done a solo RPG um post play report on continuing mission and they got a little guff for using they they're very vocal and very open like hey i used ai to help me with this and prompt blah 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 blah. they got a little guff and we had to curb and say hey this person's at home you don't go into someone's house and question what they do and what tools they use for whatever purpose you know this is their business it's like let's not get um, too heated here i think there's a lot of people trying and, and using chat gpt to be a gm for them. And I think one of the big problems we have as an industry is we have a gateway, which is the games master. And it's a thankless job. You've got to buy all the stuff. You've got to spend all weekend learning the rules. <laughs> I mean, multiple weekends. You've you literally, it is a part-time hobby to be right. a games master for a group. And it's a lot of work and it's a lot of energy. And especially after a long day's work, it can be painful. And if your group doesn't know someone like that, what do you do? So, okay, sure. Like you are not, I mean, I know there are paid GMs, but it's not a career. It's not a, a um, you know, it's a small group of people. Um, but if you don't have a GM and you can't afford to pay a pro GM to come and GM for you, then I don't see any, any um, reason not to use a tool like chat GPT. I mean, it's clunky. You got to sit there typing, right? It's not, it's not easy. Um, but if that means you play and then you go, Hey guys, let's buy another Star Trek book. Cause Jim just put out a cool new adventure book and that drives more sales of content written by human beings. Then I think that's a good thing. I would love to think that anyone who's struggling to play a role-playing game can find a way to play. Cause that means they're going to come and buy more books for, of, uh, written by humans, you know, <laughs> true. But yeah, I mean, what about the people who, hey, I just want to, I'm really rubbish at drawing a map. I just need a dungeon map or a, and stuff like that. I mean, I yeah, I don't think any of us can tell people how to live their life. You know, do they want to do drugs at home? Do they want to drink? Whatever. Like, you know, it's you, what you do in your own house is, is your thing. So um, we can't really tell people. All we can say is, look, as soon as it gets to be a thing that you would normally pay for, then this is this is the concern and this is how we want to try and help people you know correct good good 
Interesting. So, Chris, I, I know we want to talk about uh, holodecks and uh, AI and stuff and moving more toward the Star Trek model. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before, before we do that, though, um, we touched on uh, copyright a little bit. It came up in the conversation. And I wanted to get your perspectives on like with uh, with all the changes that are happening now with computers and the Internet making the world smaller and how mm -hmm. easy it is for individual fans or or, you know, creatives to like just pull whatever they want off the internet into their own creations. Like this is a huge copyright issue globally. And I know that all the different countries and all, all around the world, there's yeah. different laws and regulations. And like, where do you see um, AI impacting that? And how do you think that'll uh, change the, the legal landscape? Um, I mean, I think if OpenAI were not, uh, and uh, MidJourney were not working on a commercial model where people could opt in or a version where I can load up all my own artwork and generate new artwork based on my artwork, or I could pay an artist to, to utilize their artwork. If there was not some kind of commercial in, uh, version in work, I'd be amazed. I'll go and do it. <laughs> like, you know, there's got to be a way to pay people uh, a, f a fair rate as well. Um, but, you know, it, it comes back to the copyright though. You cannot copyright art made by a computer. And until, sorry, art gen by an AI generative platform, and that's confirmed by the US Copyright Office. Now, if a, if a court case happens and someone sues them and proves that it can be, then all bets are off and that will change. But right now, no self-respecting company can use AI art. I mean, the, the problem is we don't actually know. Like if a, if an artist I respect gives me some artwork and I can put it into a filter and it might say this is 56% likely to be AI art. Okay, if it's 86, 90%, I'll be like, hey, did you use any platform to make this? Mm -hmm. But if they say no, I made this with my hands, I made this digitally on my computer. I mean, I can ask for the kind of layered versions, the original sketches, and we usually see that process. We see a sketch, we see a kind of rough, you know, rough one. I mean, it's more suspicious if they just suddenly turn up with this amazing color image. <laughs> but what are you going to do? Are you going to accuse someone like the like the D and D artist? Um, and ruin their ruin their career because everyone because no one reads the what happened next. They all just assume that guy uh, scammed us and did a piece of AI art. And um, you know it's very easy to accuse people, and it's not very easy to say sorry. And uh, we all got it wrong, you know. And especially when so many people are aware of it, so it's a very very tricky thing at the moment. But I think, and that's why we won't touch it. We don't want to go anywhere near it. But like I said, we still have the problem that someone might say, oh, I mean, actually, we had it for Cohorts Cthulhu, this new Romans versus Monsters role-playing game. There was an art, the, the artist, he does kind of, that we used, um, he creates the characters in 3D and kind of paints over it. But it looks like a kind of more um, sort of 3D style of image. And someone's like, oh, that looks like AI art. It's like, actually... <laughs> this I, we've been working on this for about four years and this was made about three years ago so i know you know this is before the ai platform so i know there's no ai art in it right you could have imagined someone with a bit more um and that that artist now works for Ven. you know he does venom covers star wars covers you could imagine someone maybe with a bit more reach calling them out and then suddenly everyone's like oh because i saw someone say it, it must be ai art and you've got to be ever so careful because 
people's careers ride on this and um it is going to be harder uh, for us to check like it used to be quite easy because you could see that ai doesn't draw hands very well and there'd be all kinds of weird things um and this artwork that the dnd artist did had some weird little artifacts when you looked in closely but it's just the way he paints. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of nice, nice that even computers have trouble drawing hands. That makes me feel better. Yeah, I know. Exactly. But it, it's getting increasingly harder. I mean, I saw someone had done a board game where it actually said the name of the board game on the box and it got it right. And the logo of the company was right. That was wild, right? So it's it's changing and getting more capable all the time. So I, I, it's it's very hard, and there is no like checker that is a hundred percent correct. I, I've tried a few, and they still get it wrong. I mean, I, I put stuff in that was really old, and it came out ninety six percent AI. So there's you can't rely on that. You you're gonna have to trust the artist. But I mean, we know already there's plenty of cases of artists getting you know winning photography competition. They go ha ha. Actually, it was all AI. I and they did it to prove that no one actually knows how to check especially in photography so um we can all say that we don't want to use ar and of course if you get found out you'll you know you won't get to work for us again because you know if you scam us like that so we're very strict with artists uh, and we hope that they take that seriously but it is quite hard to you know to check and you know you can't spend a day checking every single piece of art that comes in you'll never get any work done so we, there's a certain amount of trust involved in the business. Like, you know, like anyone who works in a company, you trust that your employees are doing it, actually working through the day, don't you? So, um, you know, that's, that's the challenge we all face. Good. Jim, did, it, did you get your question answered? Uh, no, yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah. I think that covered it pretty well. I, I think we were focusing more on uh, art than on writing. Cause like, I mean, writing is just a big of a copyright issue as, um, as artwork and i can i can see where uh somebody could use like a chat gpt to uh you know load it up with content and then tell it to like auto generate a a mission brief pack or something you know just pulling from whatever they dropped into it and then trying to pass it off as a new manuscript and uh i mean as an editor i'd like to think i might read through it and and catch enough weirdness that if the computer you know didn't do a great job of writing it i could catch it especially uh stylistically like if, if it's not matching the style guide then that's a piece of it too but uh um mm. i would i would probably need a, a tool to to run it through to say does this look accurate you know and then it goes to trust like what you were saying chris like uh i would you know if, if this becomes a bigger issue i would probably be inclined to lean more into the writers who i know are reliable and i know are delivering original content as opposed to somebody new coming in saying hey i can write this manuscript for you in a couple days and then hands in something that I'm like, well, okay, hold on. <laughs> how, how, yeah. how did you make this? I mean, are you just writing fast or is this uh did you have some help? Right. Well, I mean, I think even open AI, one of their other projects is a, a tool to spot AI mm-hmm. and they're, you know, they're the best people to write the software to check for it as well. So they, they can, they can uh, help us out both ways. Well, uh, that's brilliant. If you think about it, because not only are they creating, getting a lot of free press with the controversy of open AI, they have people using it right now, but then they're going to also monetize the guardian for AI. I mean, it's brilliant. <laughs> if you think about it, I'm, I'm waiting for them to go public. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a bit Netflix. like crypto. Yeah. It's like crypto though was, you know, a few years ago, 
that it's like this is the thing that's going to make you so much money and like ai is that i mean it's like multimedia in the 90s everyone was like multimedia is going to change the world it's going to we're all going to be sitting there in the cinema and clicking a or b decide deciding which way we want the movie to go and it's like yeah no we're not <laughs> yeah exactly that is crazy yeah the, uh, ai is yeah ai is a different beast it is you know because it's already in our tech, you know, it's already having a use. And, um, you know, obviously when we start to think about Star Trek, got to remember Star Trek, yes, uses AI, but it went through a horrible time to get there. You know, they had their, their, their war with the, um, machines. Uh, well, I was, I was just finishing David Mack's book control, the, the first in the series about, uh, section 31 and, and, control and its origins as an artificial intelligence from the 2100 from the 2100s and it's scary actually how uh david mack wrote that by the way a great writer uh for star trek novelists and um he wrote this before the ai's uh the current open generative ai conversation but again that's why star trek hits the mark because it's so parallel to the conversations the parallel the character conversations the characters have then at the inception of starfleet are almost exactly what are happening now in the media yeah, yeah. that's right all right so so let's talk about that then a little bit um I, you know we want to give fodder to our gms and players out there on how to take this social issue and make it great in a game um one of the things that of course star trek is known for is the holodeck right so so in yeah. order to even get to the holodeck and if you think about what they do when i go back and watch the star trek shows now i crack up because they're creating people who look like people i think about bashir's uh, uh 007 program in deep yeah. space nine where he takes the like he not only takes the likeness of his of his co-workers but he even puts some of them in some hr compromising positions <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean because he's it's you know it's a bit there's this idea about um kind of regenerating loved ones you know, uh, as a as a voice on a phone or as a social media presence, so you could engage with loved ones because it can read all their social media profile, all their videos, and regurgitate their voice. And so I imagine that's just really straightforward for uh, the holodeck. Is like, hey, who do you want to be in the program? Uh, can you use Dave, Julie, and Erica from Operations, please? I'd like to. Um, you know, I want them to be in my story because they're really cool and awesome, and they never have time to come and play uh with me so um yeah it's i think what you've got to think about is because it's they're so much more in advance of us and already we can think we we have potentially the ability to replicate people certainly in a digital um like a voice or a uh, like a text format obviously not a hologram in front of you that you can touch uh, and do stuff with but um it's yeah, how carrie fisher in star wars yeah i know yeah Wild, yeah, and uh, you know, uh, lots of um, interesting. I mean, that and that's that. Obviously, that's been a big part of the um, strike with the actors in America is they don't want uh, they want more controls about whether their likenesses are used, like whether something. You know, one of the big things is a friend of mine is a big Hollywood script writer, and he gets paid a lot of money if he writes the first draft of the script. If he writes the rewrites, if he rewrites the script, it's a lot less money. So a Hollywood unscrupulous producer could go to ChatGPT and go, here's the summary. I would like a, you know, 
hundred page scripts um, based on Star Trek uh, about the holodeck, and then go to this friend of mine and go, hey, you know, we have this script right written. It's not that great. Can you rework it, please? And so his, he's just suddenly lost out on that creative, the prime creative job. Wow. So, um, so that's you know that's the kind of context at the moment that the you know we're trying to create these um, safeguards for creatives uh, now uh, with the big companies so that they don't get screwed over, yeah, in the near future. And and it, so what you would think about is when you're kind of coming up with sort of Star Trek adventures is so how could um, just quite normal AI get out of control, you know, um, you know, you can have all sorts of fun with it. Cause if you think about it, like what happens if you created a, um, you know, you liked this dude on the ship who works in operations called Dave right. and, but then the, the, the programming got corrupted and Dave starts appearing in other people's <laughs> time in the holodeck <laughs> and it gets a bit awkward, you know, and, or, or starts interacting people and giving away information. So you can have all sorts of quite fun, uh, interactions with AI, I think, in the holodeck, which uh, can create all sorts of hilarity and challenges. Yeah. And I want people to be introspective too, because I want to go 10 years back. So, this is for the Star Trek viewer who maybe right now is not feeling good about open AI. And I, I, I would ask to be introspective. Go back, think about those episodes that you watched literally 25 years ago about the holodeck. And when you saw this happen, when you saw Bashir take Kira Norris and put her in a sultry dress without her being aware of it, and she's part of this program, did you say, wait a second, this is ethically wrong? Or did you think in your mind, and be honest, did you think in your mind, oh, I can't wait till I can do that? Mm -hmm. that that's a question people need to ask themselves. Yeah, yeah. Probably ethically wrong that you shouldn't have someone <laughs> uh, in that position. But um, I think the premise that, uh, I mean, if you take the sexuality away from it and it's just like, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I can I can have an argument with someone that I don't like or, um, yeah, or chat, I mean, chat someone up um, and get experience chatting them up so that when I actually come to chat them up, I know what I'm saying, you know. LaForge and um, Brahms. LaForge and yeah, Brahms. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, I, I think the thing is, because we didn't really know what AI was, you know, we all had this sort of the Terminator AI, right? That was our like AI is going to take over the world, but we don't really, we didn't really know what AI uh, was and how it could affect us. It didn't feel like a threat, but now we can see like the the minutiae of how it can affect us. Like today, it can take my job away. Today, it can make right. it hard for me to work. Now we care. So it's oh, I'm sorry, you bring up a good point though. Let's go back I, from the LaForge story when he recreated Laura Brahms in order so that they could work on the engineering issue. Rem what's interesting about that in the second follow-up episode, she was upset about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But she never said anything about you broke licensing rights or you <laughs> broke a federation law. So it's interesting that they were already toying with the idea back then. But clearly it's not wrong. Now it might have been emotionally upsetting, but of course they've not really thought that out within the Star Trek 
brand universe like would it be wrong to do that they might be emotionally wrong between friends but it's clearly not a law that you don't do because you wouldn't be able to do it in the software otherwise it would the program would be like i'm sorry i'm not allowed to create your a real person from the ship <laughs> so that's an interesting um challenge there is clearly they've allowed it because but then maybe people are generally more mature in the in in the future and wouldn't do stuff like that but of course people right. are human Right. I think um, I think there's, there's a, tricky, a tricky place there. Right. Because like I know uh, there was a couple episodes with uh, uh, Barclay, right, where he 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 had his own holodeck fantasies and they actually presented in the show that it was it, it was like psychologically healthy for him to work out his fantasies in a safe space. Right. And and like the right, right. was trying to help him with that. But then once she saw what he was doing, it was like, well, wait a minute, this is going a little further <laughs> than expected. So it's like, it, it gets into that tricky area. Like uh, Chris, you were saying earlier, like, uh, you know, what people do in their own homes, that's their business. Um, but, but if they, if it gets out into the public, then you're like, well, now wait a minute, what are you doing here? Uh, so yeah. I, I mean, I can see pros and cons both ways. That was covered in the episode where the doctor had created a very popular program about the Voyager crew, but remember they were shed in a bad light. Yeah. Uh, and there yeah. was, a, there was a whole issue about that with the doctor's creation. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, so I do see ethical issues, you know, cropping up and, and certainly interpersonal issues, right? Like if you're using the likenesses of your, of your, of your crewmates or your senior officers or something. And I mean, I mean uh, there was that one episode Barclay had uh, Riker in his program as one of the three musketeers, but he was, <laughs> short and and little right so it was like he he he, he diminished uh, Riker because he was intimidated by him in real life and uh you know if you're doing that just as your own personal fantasy sure you know go what go for it but then if the person finds out then that could create some awkward uh you know awkward conversations and even in the 24th century you would hope that they're more enlightened but it's still people right it's still people reacting and uh and and dealing with it yeah that would actually be a very fun module to play like in the set in the 2100s or the 2200s yeah. where you could bureaucratically be like, what are the ethics and rules around holodecks as they're developed? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That'd, that'd be an it's interesting. Good, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I know we've played with this a little bit in a couple of the standalones and some of the mission briefs and stuff, but like there's just so much you could do with, with AI slash holodeck technology uh, that we've already seen on the show. And then if you just extrapolate it a little further, right? Like what if a, what if a crew were to come upon a, a civilization that's been around for thousands of years and it turns out that they're all AI and they're just, they're just a, like the memory of a, a civilization that's been gone, but they get caught up in it and they don't realize it until they're well into the story. And then yeah. there's like ethical issues or something else going on. You're like, Oh, wait a minute, these aren't even real people <laughs> or are they real people? Right. Right? That was the end of the, is it the Spielberg film about the little boy who's a robot and yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, in the end the earth is frozen over and the aliens kind of bring, it, bring him back as a memory. Yeah. Um, and it's um, interesting, I think some interesting ideas there about how an AI could be used to yeah, extend the life of a civilization that that can't keep going or, or keeps its memory alive maybe the ai keeps the the people walking around as memories because it misses them you know oh wouldn't that be amazing there's a great um uh, mallory cooper um a writer she wrote the eon 14 series awesome series of books the ai's in it are incredibly sophisticated and they also had a big war between uh between humans and different and various ai's on both sides 
because uh, of course humans were horrible to them. But ultimately, the, the AIs are just helping run civilization. But they've realized they need to be a bit rubbish <laughs> because otherwise they'd do everything for us and we'd just lose the will to live. So they purpose of purposefully are a bit rubbish and don't uh, don't do everything correctly so that we have to do stuff <laughs> i love that i love so that. i have that i have a positive you know i'm always um glass half full kind of guy so i have this view that kind of ai's you know i don't think we'll have the terminator ai i think we'll have ai's that will look kind feel a bit sad for us because we're a bit stupid <laughs> yeah. and we'll try and help us you know, it's like it's like the kind of the dad's like, come on, you can do the homework yourself. You know the answer to this, don't you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, All what right. better what better IP for Modiphius to have than Star Trek to be able to actually explore this subject in a safe environment, right? Well, also, yeah. I mean, we've got to remember that the heritage of Star Trek is this safe space in the future to explore these really difficult uh, issues. A black woman. On the in, with a bunch of other people who's supposedly really good at what she does, a a Russian <laughs> and a Chinese in the same room. You know, this was the height of the Cold War when people were getting locked up in America for thinking the wrong thing. You know, and being a little bit of you know commie, uh, you know, having some communist interests. This was, um, you know, the the fact that Star Trek has always always been about you know diversity and about having difficult conversations in this kind of safe futuristic space so i think it's the perfect opportunity for us to to kind of see where 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 could ai take us in a really positive light and the fun we can have with it i mean i'm you know i i, I think the world will change and i think there'll be people will have to figure out new jobs you know, that's always the way of technology but Again, I believe we if we are if we get involved now and take control of the way AI is affecting us, we can ensure that it's a really positive way that it affects us and that we, you know, people whose lives are affected by AI have a much better day. I mean, I've got this, I posted this actually about three, four years ago, and I said, imagine uh Siri, if you've got an iPhone, you know who Siri is, right? Siri wakes you up at seven with the perfect coffee from your automated coffee machine exactly how you like it your uber is collecting you in about 15 minutes which is exactly the amount of time you need to have your shower and get ready there are it's green lights all the way to the office because the ai plans every car's route to get you to the office with green lights all the way you arrive you have an amazing night's sleep you'll have you you had a great journey to work everyone else is in a really great mood as well because they already had a, an amazing morning and then uh, that night series booked you dinner next to someone who likes star trek as well likes football loves this at the and you both love the same restaurant you both love this chinese amazing chinese food and you're sitting next to each other and you're the perfect match for each other and you have an amazing life <laughs> that's how i imagine ai and and people go oh why why would you want it to do all of that it's like well you know you let google AI, you let google maps take you somewhere and you trust it right so if your life if work was amazing, everyone was in a, an amazing mood and you never had an argument with people because everyone was just was having such a perfect life, you probably would. And it's an interesting way to think about how, how AI might transform 
the way we live and work and just take all those little stressful it's like you know when we were reading map books we'd always get it wrong we'd turn up and oh no there's a traffic jam and they've put roadworks here and i mean i i grew up with we we called it the a to z book in england and and so i grew up learning how to drive around london and uh but of course you'd 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 always bump into traffic and and now we just trust ways you know in town or you know i i use ways to get through town it will take me through little weird housing estates and through car parks to get to cut through traffic it's insane but that's an ai showing me how to beat the traffic it's true and it's so true it's, um so it's really interesting i think how we can play out uh and i you know i'd, I'd like to think that everyone will benefit from that and that you know yeah uh, it, we won't see a lot of people struggle with it and I'm, I'm going to ask people who play Star Trek Adventures to create a safe space where this can be discussed. Go futuristic, kind of like Chris just went into the half glass pool and say, in order for us to have gotten to the holodeck or to this better future, what would have had to happen to get us there? That open safe space discussion may actually disarm some people who are maybe hostile against talking about it or fearful about talking about it. RPG can be a place to, to bring up subjects like this where people walk away like oh you're talking about ai oh you're talking about what's going on right now and i've seen that happen in my game i strategically put stuff in there and all of a sudden they're like oh you're talking about american exceptionalism oh you're talking about <laughs> this you know and and it's it's i love star trek adventures for being that kind of format yeah i mean i think the the thing no one really was worried about ai because it was a thing in the future right it was someone else's problem until we got mid-journey and then when Midjourney was like good enough to go, wait a minute, someone's using Midjourney and they're losing work, and other people are losing work. Now it affects us. So um, we've just got to get through this phase of figuring out how to make it legal, how to make it ethical, how to make sure people get paid. Um, how do those artists who might be losing work transition to be able to use some kind of tool that will come out of all of this? to uh to get paid for less work in an ideal world right or at least to get paid and still be creative still be creative is a really key thing none of us want to be sitting there writing you know uh, and, and and um be careful that um uh prompts is a creative work uh is you know if you are a prompt engineer that is a creative job uh you have to be actually quite creative to think about it although i've seen chat gpt write prompts <laughs> so but only because you said i would like you to write a prompt that utilizes the following styles and art and imagery and uh, lighting and colors and things like that so um i'd, I'd like to think that uh you know that we can figure out a a, a route to protect everyone and, uh, you know, we want to make sure people keep creating. That is the big key here, that they don't just press buttons. <laughs> but I even, um, I remind my my wife is, uh, she works in finance here. And I often talk to a lot of people and they're like, oh, you know, I'm in, I'm in the city. I'm not very creative. And of course, of course you're creative. Like, it doesn't matter what you do, you are creative. You, you are, uh, I mean, I don't mean dodgy accounting when you're creative with the accounting, but it takes creativity to be clever 
with how you do your job. doesn't matter what you do. It's like, okay, I'm going to do this first and that later. I'm going to be, people are creative in how they make their job easier for themselves or do a better job. doesn't matter what you do. And I always tell people like, you you know, don't say that you're not creative. Everyone's creative. We had that we had that conversation, didn't we, Michael? A few times when uh, Captain's Log came out, and we heard a lot of fans saying, "Oh, you know, I'm ne- I've never been creative. I don't know how to put a story together or anything." But now they've got a tool set, and they can figure it out. And I remember us talking to a lot of people online, just in chat and stuff, like, uh, "No, you are creative. You have it within you to do it. You just might need a little nudge or something, or just uh, the right tools." And then to to what Chris was saying. Um, where some jobs may be lost because of AI, some new jobs may be created. And if you're willing to be, um, you know, keep learning and, and keep being curious, you could probably find a new way to get a new job to do something different with AI. You can you'll still be creative. You'll just be doing something, something different. Yeah, exactly. So I had to relocate. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love that. Because if you think about it, rolling the dice on a random table is prompt engineering in its most basic form. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, it Chris, is, it, yeah. I mean, yeah. We've just, your, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> just, we've just got to be, you know, you've got to be sensitive. There are, and, and none of us are right in, in any of this argument, that there are people who are truly scared about the impact of AI. And there are, and there are people who are truly angry about it. And it's, you know, it's why we have to be quite sensitive when we start a discussion, because emotions are, are very high and it can draw people in and we can all end up having silly arguments. Yeah. I, I, in the bar, we'd be fine, you know. Yeah. I ask people join the discussion. If in a common, not don't don't go on social media groups to have this discussion. If you're going to have this discussion, have the discussion with people who one need to know how is this affecting you in a negative way, how or how is this affecting you in a positive way, and then likewise, in order for you to feel good about it, what would it need to do? What would this tool have to do for you? You know, that's the discussion that's helpful. But I've seen so many, and I thank you again, Chris. You know, for shutting down. Um, when it started to get vitriolic online, I know that our moderators on the Star Trek Adventures Facebook page and some others are very making sure to keep it a positive environment. But I've seen other social media where I shut it because I don't follow too much social media um, where I shut it down real quick because it's so negative. And so I don't want to hear it. They're not interested in you helping solve the problem. They've made their decision already and they're done with it. And we see how that well that works in this country. Right. When people think like that. Um, so so. You know, we encourage people who are part of the Star Trek community, join the conversation. Tell us how we're going to get it to the holodeck phase. Join it. Let's imagine together and see what wonderful things can come out of that, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Okay, let's go one more go around about the subject. Jim, take it. Take us into your, you know, some final words about AI or any other questions you have for Chris. Um, yeah, I think uh, I'll just echo what Chris was saying at the very top of the show is just don't be scared of it. It's, uh, it's technology is already here. It's been here for a long time. And uh, we just need to figure out how to adapt and and uh, use it for good as opposed to just, you know, flying off the handle and going crazy about it. Just, uh, you know, be be intentional and, and be, be informed, but then also be intentional about what you want to do with it. So are you saying resistance is futile? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> because like technology is not going to stop improving and changing and getting smaller and, you know, changing the world. I think we just need to be adaptable and keep going with it. 
Yes, right. resistance, resistance is futile. Futile. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, some final words on the subject that you want people to walk away with? Yeah, I think it's, it's you know, we often sit around and, and imagine sci-fi worlds. Wouldn't it be cool if this or that and dream up cool ideas? And so it's worthwhile just considering how might um, how might AI affect your day? Like, you know, I like talked about this idea that, you know, Siri might just make it easy for you to get to work and easy to have a great day and, and, um, and change how you live. And to imagine how, uh, things like chat GPT and, and obviously the, the way the tools are changing is crazy, but imagine how it could be beneficial for creatives, like how it can help them, um, generate great work and um spend more time with their family maybe and and like i said you know be careful about talking about it in social media because lots of people are you know really quite frightened and that will just cause arguments and it's you know if, if we were all standing around at a bar we'd all have a great time and we'd all kind of get it you know and 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 um, because we're all remote and in our own little homes and, and, you know, it's quite isolated sometimes it can be quite difficult to deal with. So, you know, be sensitive about, about talking about it. Um, but I would just say, don't, don't be fearful, kind of like, this is science fiction. This is what we do. This is what we do with Star Trek. It's what it's all about. It's about looking ahead to the future and figuring out that, you know, and, and Star Trek, they went through terrible times to get to the Federation, like, you know, the wars and everything. And, and I'm, I hope we don't have to go through the same, but they went through difficulty to get to that great place they're in. I'm, I'm hopeful we can get there without a lot of that. Yeah. And um, so really it's, you know, be positive and, um, you know, keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. great thoughts michael what are your what are your closing thoughts um you know i i work in organizational development change management for a large organization and we know that there's two types of people whenever change comes there's the people who jump straight into it um uh, three types of people sorry there's people who jump straight into it and want to lead the charge and are willing to be explorers and take the risks and kind of mitigate that we have the bystanders who have an opinion, but they're going to be quiet about it, you know, and maybe that's like 40 to 60% of the people who are just kind of watching and kind of quietly worried. And then you have the 20% of people, whether or not they've researched it or not, they're vociferous against change because things are perfect the way it is. They're, they're happy. It's working for them. They can't see another. And so that's all that matters to them. So, so I see that happening more and more, especially in the time we live in technology is rapidly changing so fast, whether in my lifetime, it's the advent of the home, personal home computer, the fax machine, the internet, you know, Every time it's the same discussion about how this technology is going to happen. I know I'm part of the top 20% because I want to get off this mud ball called earth and get into space myself. And I know it's going to take a lot of pain to do that. Um, so, so I think we need to be conscious. People need to self-identify which they are, which of that group they are and do whatever they need to do to be empathetic for the other groups out there. And so that we can all move together, you know, into the future. That's my big mm. pontifical statement. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Uh, you want to kick us off with some gratitude then, Michael? Yeah, um, I, this is because this is the well, I had an opportunity at Gen Con last year to say thank you, Chris. But, um, you know, I have I have kind of a double thank you here. One is 
the legwork it took to get the license for Star Trek Adventures has been life-changing. You're the first person, uh, because of getting this license, got me off of playing Marvel Marvel games for like 30 years, RPGs to actually try and devote myself to a whole nother genre of RPGs. So congratulations on that. Um, some of my Marvel players aren't too happy about it, but I'm slowly converting uh-huh. them over to Star Trek Adventures. Um, so so thank you for the footwork for that, because that's a big deal. That This was industry changing, as we can see by the quality of product coming out and the support of the community, such a positive place to be. So thank you, Chris, for that. And of course, thank you for making hiring decisions with Jim Johnson, who's always opening the gates for um, new and creative and diverse and inclusionary thoughts to come into the game, which is Star Trek. So um, that's my thank you and gratitude. Chris, what about you? Uh, well, I'm going to thank uh, Jack Emert, who was the, I think he was the CEO of um, of the company behind Star Trek Online and City of Heroes and others. And he was the, the dude that um, connected us with Veronica at CBS at the time and, and helped us get in the door and get taken seriously so he was the the guy that um you know was instrumental in us doing star trek now so um and otherwise it's good old jim kirk right who inspired (laughs) me as a kid (laughs) nice all right and jim johnson take us out yeah, well, I want to, I want to, I want to thank Chris, of course, and and Rita for creating Modiphius, and then and then uh, you know going through all that work to find the Star Trek license, and uh, I really appreciate Chris that you mentioned at the top of the show how um, you know like like you, I grew up in the dark ages of Star Wars, like in into eighty seven when there was just nothing, there were no novels, there was it was just the three movies, and it was like oh man, what is going to happen, and uh, and then this bright shining light of West End Games came out with our Star Trek RPG, our Star Wars RPG, right? And it was like, oh, this whole new world has just opened up because of RPGs. And yeah. um, and then over time, you know, Last Unicorn Games and Decipher got the Star Trek licenses because, uh, you know, FASA had it and then they laid fallow for a while. And um, it's just like, it feels like RPGs always find a way to kind of fill the gap when there's a long you know dark period of things in ips and then i know when uh, when decipher lost the license you know it was like 10 to 12 years before anybody picked up the star trek license and uh, i know that like internally in the in the industry such as it is i know i had a lot of conversations with people who wanted to bring back a star trek rpg and we just didn't know who was gonna who was gonna end up with the license what was gonna happen and we i mean that was like 12 years of conversation and then all of a sudden, you Modiphius came up with it, and it's like, oh, oh, you know, whole whole new world has just opened up again because I, I think Star Trek, as a RPG and an IP, really holds a unique place in the world, right? And uh, it, it presents something really different than what you get from other games. And uh, Chris, I know you've been a longtime proponent of telling people if you have a creative idea or something cool you want to do, make an RPG out of it and get yeah. it out there right and, and share it with people and that's such a great inspiring um idea because like the the um the barrier to create rpgs now is so much lower than it used to be right because there's so many tools available now not just art not so much ai specifically but just in general it's much easier to publish something now you know getting marketing and then getting a getting fans to look into it that's a whole different that's a whole different story right but at least publishing it and getting it out there is easier now than I think it's ever been. And you've been really on the forefront of that. I know you've talked a lot about that on different interviews and stuff. Uh, so I'm just grateful for all that and and, and grateful for your uh, your creativity and, and then your vision as well. So, uh, and, and also, you know, grateful that you're on the show. Like, I can't believe it took us a hundred episodes to finally get you on, <laughs> uh, but really grateful. That you, never. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really grateful that you were willing to take some time with us today to talk. 
Yeah. Happy to come back. Yeah. And thank you for helping us handle and take the lead on such a sensitive subject. I think I, I think for people sure. will get a lot out of it. People keep joining the discussion. That's what we're here for. Continuing yeah. conversations. And I, I think did, this is uh, going to be a continuing conversation as well. So, isn't yeah. it? Isn't it? Good. We'll have you on as it develops more and future things. We'll have yeah. you back again for sure. Sure. Yeah. All right. IDIC, everyone. Live long and prosper, everybody. Be safe. Be well. We'll talk to you all next time. <laughs>